When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than simply studying an ancient text. We believe God actually speaks to us through these words. So let's take a moment of silence to clear our minds and prepare ourselves so we can listen to God's word. Tonight's scripture reading is from the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, so I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, from dust you are, and to the dust you will return. Genesis 3, 8, 19. But pray with me and pray for my mic. <laughs> um, Lord God, we are so grateful that we can come so easily into your presence. Tonight we again name our dependency on you, our reliance upon you, our need for you. And so we pray, God, that you would speak to us that you would grab our attention by your spirit, that your spirit would move freely among us, that we might respond to your grace, be moved by your grace, be changed by your grace tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My parents, uh, they were very clear with their instructions. They told my sister and I, you are not allowed to go over there anymore. They were very clear about that. I don't remember their reasons. I've conveniently forgotten that part. I don't remember their backstory, the backstory to it, but I do remember the instructions that our next door neighbor's house was now off limits to us. We were not allowed to go over there anymore. Pretty clear, right? Pretty clear instructions. Well, sure, you can say that now. (laughs) But when I was five, What you have to understand, if you're going to understand my side of the story, what you have to understand is that my next door neighbor, Adam, had a Nintendo. Did you hear me? 
And as a geriatric millennial myself, coming of age in an emerging Nintendo era, that was very important to me. So my sister and I decided, surprise, surprise, to go over to Adam's house to play Nintendo. We were there for a while, and then after a few rounds of duck hunt, we went back home. And I remember walking in the front door to my house, and I remember my parents were right there, <laughs> right there in our living room. And they looked over at us, and we looked at them, and they knew. And we knew that they knew. And they knew that we, immediately, my sister and I, we came up with a strategy. We didn't even have to talk to each other. It took like 2.4 seconds for us to come up with a strategy, which was to run and hide. <laughs> to very quickly run to our bedrooms and hide. It's the strategy of five-year-olds and their big sisters. It's the strategy of the first humans. What we just read in Genesis 3 in the fallout of their turning from God, we read this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? It's a strategy, really, that's used by all of us, this hiding strategy. And we have different ways that we do it different ways that we hide from reality. I'm just going to name a few for us tonight. You can check all that apply for yourself. These ways of hiding from reality. How about this? What about religious striving? All this activity for God becomes actually a convenient way to hide from God, to actually keep God at a distance. How about workaholism? If I just never stop moving... Or perfectionism, is if I just make sure I always do it perfect, perfectly right. A way of hiding from reality, sort of dodging reality. It could be toxic positivity, the sort of everything is wonderful, everything is bright, way to keep pain at a comfortable distance. I remember during COVID walking through Cheeseman Park and someone was walking towards me with a t-shirt that said, no bad days. And I really want to be like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, read the room. Maybe it's toxic positivity. Maybe it's, it's a strategy that's been called spiritual bypassing, where we avoid reality. We avoid meeting with God in our actual emotions by sort of like putting a Band-Aid of some Bible verse on top. We try to like leapfrog over our actual fear, over our actual grief or sadness. We all have these strategies of, of hiding from reality. We scroll on our screens until we fall asleep. Is that, is that just me? We point the finger at anyone, everyone, just to get the focus off of ourselves. We stay busy. We stay on the surface. Instead of dealing in reality, we just try to escape reality. I've discovered that the right filter can make any photo look good, if you know what I mean. And yet, with all these strategies and how good we seem to get at hiding, God keeps interrupting our strategies. God keeps 
interrupting all of these strategies that we employ to hide from reality because it appears that God is just too kind to let us keep hiding. That God is actually just too merciful to let us keep hiding. Years ago, I went to the Dominican Republic in Costa Rica. I was going on this trip to learn from local churches there and these really beautiful ways that they were ministering in their neighborhoods, that they were having this kingdom-focused ministry in their surrounding communities. And one day we visited two rehab homes that were run by a local church. And we spent hours that day with residents, first from the women's home and then the men's home. And we just sat in this circle with them and one by one people told their story. People shared their stories with us. It was this incredible privilege and honor to get to sit in that circle as they went around and told of losing custody of their kids, of of families torn apart, of lives lost. And we just sat there in that circle and, and just cried with them, cried tears of sorrow over the fallout of such a cruel disease that is addiction, a sorrow that my family knows really well. And as we pulled away in our van, one of the pastors that we were traveling with, he said, you know, that's all of us. That's all of us. All of us are on the edge of life and death. Some of us just hide it a little better than others. We all have these strategies, but why? Why do we hide? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Why do we hide? The first humans, shame, seemed to have something to do with it. Shame caused them to reach for those fig leaves to cover up. It also seems that hiding is a strategy to to keep ourselves safe, to only show what we want to show, what feels safe to show, what feels presentable to show about ourselves. Why do we hide? Why do we spend all this energy and effort and work hiding from reality? Well, Well, fear seems to play its part. We read in Genesis 3, verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Why do we hide from the reality of our sin, our brokenness, our humanness, our our limits, our mortality? Here's the thing. Maybe we're afraid that God can't actually handle it, that God can't actually meet us there, that God actually won't meet us there. But what does the psalmist say? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Ash Wednesday, this night, all of this, it invites us into honesty, to let down, to let go of all those strategies of hiding. Genesis 3, 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? God invites us into honesty because the invitation to honesty is an invitation to reality, to name our strategies of hiding, that the masks that we wear, the accusing fingers we point at those around us, the the covering up of shame, the ways we refuse to deal with the reality of our sin, our limits, our brokenness, our finiteness, our fragility, our mortality, our own neediness, our own dependence. Here's how one author puts it, to be in God's presence is always to be there in truth and never in fantasy. 
You have nothing to fear in God's presence. You have nothing to fear in God's presence. God is not afraid of your sin. God is not afraid of your brokenness. God can only truly engage you in reality. The call, this author writes, is to give yourself to God and not spin back onto your own resources. Ash Wednesday is about refusing to spin back onto our own resources, which is really good news tonight. Forget chocolate. Who needs it? Forget valentines and roses. Tonight we get confession and surrender and repentance and some tears and space to actually rest in the presence of God as we actually are. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because God is not afraid of our sin. God is not afraid of our brokenness, of our humanity. God doesn't leave us alone. God doesn't leave us to our own devices in the cool of the night. God comes after those first humans of pursuing love, of relentless grace. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow after me all the days of my life. And in the fullness of time, God sent his one and only son. God took on flesh. God became like us, of pursuing love, of relentless grace. God is not afraid of our sin. Yes, we see the fallout of our sin the curse that seeps deep into the ground and causes wreckage in our relationship with God, with each other. You heard it, the passage that Marlene read where men and women who were meant to be in partnership with each other, now at odds with each other. We see the wreckage, the fallout of the fall all around us. We see it in our work, thorns and thistles. We see it in our world. What has become a really common occurrence happened to me today probably for many of you, where this afternoon I got on social media and read the news of another mass shooting. And my body just responds and my heart sinks. And tears well up in my eyes as I read about a shooting at a Super Bowl parade in Kansas City. And tonight we, we just say, Lord, what have we done? What have we made of this world that you love? And the Lord meets us right here. And the Lord invites us into honesty. Not a denying or a hiding from reality, but a meeting God in reality. We begin this journey tonight together, the season of Lent. And Lent, it's not about beating ourselves up. It's not a six-week self-improvement project. It's not a performance review from God. What is Lent? Or here is how some friends of mine put it. They say our false selves are confronted in this season. All the ways we mask up to live into this world, how we imagine ourselves to be. All the while weighed down with unreality. In this way, this is a time of freedom. Of resting from striving to pretend to be something we are not. Is allowing ourselves to be seen by ourselves and by God, in all our mess and beauty. Tonight we share in this practice in just a few moments called the imposition of ashes. Ashes, the sign of sorrow. 
of repentance. Lord, what have we done? In just a few moments, you'll be invited to come forward a symbolic way of coming out of hiding, right? Like a very visible, I don't want to hide anymore. Together, coming before God, laying aside our well-worn strategies of performing and pretending and hiding and simply saying together in a very embodied way, we need you, Jesus. And you'll come forward in a moment, and there'll be some folks up here, and they'll put ashes on your forehead, and someone's going to tell you, you're going to (laughs) die. Like, they're going to say it in a more poetic way. It'll feel okay in the moment. (laughs) They'll say, you are dust, and to dust you'll return. But nevertheless, it's a very strange way to spend Valentine's Day. But maybe it's not. Fragile, broken creatures, deeply loved by God. That is who we are. That's coming into the light to be seen by ourselves and by our God, Broken, fragile creatures deeply loved by God. Hear these words from author David Benner. As we see how deeply loved we are by God in our depths, complexity, totality, and sinfulness, we dare to allow God more complete access to the dark parts of our soul that most need transformation. And God precedes us on this journey, waiting to meet us in the depths of ourself. God is not afraid of our sin. God is not afraid of our brokenness. Where can I go that your spirit would not find me? Broken, fragile creatures, deeply loved by God. Because when you come forward and the ashes are put on your forehead, they're going to be placed in the shape of the cross. And at some point tonight, before your head hits the pillow, look in the mirror. See yourself. See the ashes on your forehead. Broken, fragile creature. Deeply loved by God. Claimed by the love of God. That is who you are. That is who we are. And then in roughly six weeks, these three churches represented here are going to come back into this building. And there's going to be flowers everywhere. And maybe some confetti. And probably lots of good food. And we're going to say the three words that change everything. Christ is is risen. But we start here tonight in ashes and dust. Jesus, we need you. Amen. So in just a moment, um, some folks will be up here. As you're ready, you can come forward. If you would prefer to have the ashes on your hand, please extend your hand. That is the official symbol that you don't want them on your forehead. Um, Let me pray for us as we come forward. God, you know the reality and the weight of our fear, of our shame, all the things that keep us spinning and keep us performing and keep us pretending and keep us hiding, and we long for freedom. So spirit, come. This embodied action, it be the start of something really beautiful this Lent, where we hear your voice and we encounter your grace and we are changed by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.